Good evening. It's great to be with you all again and uh, to preach again out of Second Timothy and to close it out. Um, it's been a fun summer and we appreciate your patience as a church listening to all kinds of different preachers, young preachers, um, go through this book that, written to a young preacher uh, in many ways. It's been, I think, edifying for all of us who have gotten the opportunity. So thank you and, and thanks for letting me close it out here today. The famous Greek philosopher Aristotle is well known for some of his writings on friendship. Uh, He's well known for talking about how to cultivate friends, the different kinds of friends uh, that you can have. And he once said, this quote, very famous quote, he said, the antidote for 50 enemies is one friend. But from the beginning of the Christian church, Friendship has been an integral part of what set Christians apart from the rest of the world. The 4th century Christian theologian, big name, called Gregory of Nazianzus, he once wrote, If anyone were to ask me, what is the best thing in life? I would answer, friends. Elsewhere, and speaking of his own dear friend, another famous theologian named Basil of Caesarea, he wrote, of the two of them, in studies, in lodgings, in discussions, I had him as a companion. We had all things in common, but above all of it was God and a mutual desire for higher things that drew us to each other. As a result, we reached such a high pitch of confidence that we revealed the depths of our hearts, becoming ever more united in our yearning. I wonder if if you have ever had a spiritual friend like that. Someone who you could look at in your life now and say something as deep and personal as that. Someone who can bear the burdens of the Christian life with you. Someone who can point you to Christ. Scripture is full of examples of these kinds of gospel-saturated friendships, right? Think of David and Jonathan, or, or even Jesus and, and John. Look at what Proverbs 18.24 says. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. So today, what we're going to be seeing in 2 Timothy chapter 4, 9 through 22, is actually a really sweet window, an example into the life, in this case, Paul and Timothy, and even some others, Mark and Luke, of what true gospel-saturated spiritual friendship looks like. So if you, if you haven't, uh, t- if you haven't uh, kept your thumb there in your Bible to Second uh, Timothy uh, chapter 4. Uh, be sure to do that. It'll be helpful, as always, to, to have that open with you. But at the same time, we're not just going to see just Paul and Timothy's friendship. We're also going to see this interesting paradox in the Christian life. As uh, Steve said earlier, this beautiful passage right in the middle of our passage today about the Lord strengthening Paul, about the Lord being with Paul. That's all given in this context of relationships of people leaving Paul, 
of people deserting Paul. So while Paul says that friendship is vital for the Christian life, he also recognizes that people disappoint us. He recognizes that people leave us and that our ultimate hope has to be in Christ, not in other people. So I think the main point of our passage this evening, so hopefully the main point of the sermon, is this. God gives us gospel friends and gospel hope. God gives us gospel friends and gospel hope. And because I'm a simple man, our two points will be, number one, gospel friends, number two, gospel hope. So point number one, gospel friends. So let's jump right into our passage here. Uh, And keep in mind, this is the culmination of the whole book. And how does Paul end it? How does Paul end his last chapter of his last letter at the end of his life? He ends it talking about other people a lot. He says to Timothy in verse 9, do your best to come to me soon. So right off the bat, Paul is very strongly encouraging Timothy to come to Rome. So remember, Paul is in prison in Rome. He's writing this letter to Timothy, and it's almost as if he's telling Timothy, just drop everything in Ephesus and come to me as quickly as you can. So even though he's telling him all this pastoral things to do in Ephesus, he's also saying, but you also need to come here like as soon as you can. I'm sure that you guys have had situations like that, maybe with friends or family, where you just say, you just need to get over here as soon as you can. Uh, a while ago, uh, Zoe and I were going to the hospital, and the Farewells and the Smiths uh, did that for us. We just said, you guys need to get over here as soon as you can. The difference here is, is that Paul isn't in some kind of emergency. He's, he's not going to the hospital. He's in prison, yes, He knows he's probably going to die, yes, but he he also is counting in a lot of ways on Roman bureaucracy and how long it's going to take. He's he's not assuming that Paul's going to break him out of prison, right? Uh, He's not saying, come here really quickly so that, you know, you'll get me out of here or something. He's asking Timothy to come to him just because he wants to see him before he dies. Paul wants Timothy to drop everything and come to Rome just because he wants to see him. Think about all the endearing language that Paul uses of Timothy throughout, throughout the letter that we've looked at, right? He calls him his beloved child. Back in chapter 1, Paul says that he remembered Timothy in tears, longing to see him, that he would be filled with joy. Paul wanted to see Timothy in part Because it would fill them both with joy. So near the end of his life, Paul knew that the presence of his friend, this son in the faith, as people will often call Timothy with Paul, would bring him comfort in these difficult times of imprisonment. One commentator used the the term tough friends for tough times. I just love that. He knows Timothy is a tough friend for tough times. And this is no small ask uh, on Paul's part, by the way, him telling Timothy to come to him. 
Timothy's in Ephesus, that's a long way away, and Paul is in Rome, it probably would have taken about four to six months, right, for Timothy to get to Paul. So, so it's no flippant thing when Paul says, drop everything and come to Rome as quickly as you can. In fact, it's, it's kind of so serious that a lot of, uh, shall we say, worldly scholars or, or liberal theologians l- use this passage actually to say that 2 Timothy 4.9 is, is Paul being selfish, that he's only thinking about his own preferences and his personal desires ahead of all the mess that's happening at the Ephesian church. But it's worth asking the question, why would Paul want Timothy to leave the mess that we've been reading about all this past, these past two months in the Ephesian church to come to Rome? Well, I, think, I think what we might miss if we are quick to criticize Paul is that we're not grasping the importance of spiritual friendship between Paul and Timothy. We miss the fact that Paul is likely wanting to pass some things on to Timothy, wisdom, truth, conversation, give and take. He's obviously writing him a letter. He knows he can write write letters to him, but isn't it interesting? In a letter he's writing to him that he says, but I really, I really want to see you in person, in real life. Paul wanted to see Timothy in person. There's a unique benefit to talking to people in person, isn't there? I'm reminded of that this week, seeing my parents here, that you know, we can talk on WhatsApp and we can talk on video chat and with the grandkids and all these wonderful things. But being in person, there's a, a give and take, right? There's different ways that we can communicate with each other, especially about deep spiritual things, right? This is what Paul knows to be true. This is why he wanted to see Timothy himself. And that's why he says so in this letter. I wonder, just in thinking about these things, how much do we, as members of Great Vic, value cultivating these deep spiritual friendships with each other? Listen to what Esther Edwards Burr, the daughter of the famous uh, theologian Jonathan Edwards, and for any of you musical fans out there uh, who like Hamilton, you know, Aaron Burr. This is Aaron Burr's mother. She was a devout Christian woman. Listen to what Esther Burr says. Nothing is more refreshing to the soul except communication with God himself than the company and society of a friend. It is a great mercy that we have any friends. What would this world be without them? A person who looks upon himself to be, a friend, to be friendless must be of all creatures miserable. I've no scientific evidence uh, for this, but I've uh, been a, a part of many churches, and I've been to many churches, visited many churches, and I've talked to lots of pastors, and one of the things that, I've, that a lot of otherwise good, gospel-saturated, healthy churches lack is biblical friendship among the congregation. People know they, they need good preaching, they need good teaching, they need to sing good songs, we need to have good doctrine, that's important. 
But when it comes to cultivating friendships with one another, well, that's kind of weird. We'll just just set that to the side. After all, we we have our family to hang out with, right? We have our friends from school, or we have our friends that we grew up with. Church, there's no substitute for the kind of true spiritual friendships that we see throughout Scripture. And I'm not talking about just kind of casually talking about the Christian books you're reading or talking about sports or hobbies or politics. Those are fine things to talk about. It's fun to talk about those things. But what I'm talking about here is those intentional relationships where the goal, like Paul and Timothy, is to bear each other's burdens, to rejoice with those who rejoice, to weep with those who weep. Relationships where we confess sin, we rejoice in the triumphs we have over sin and over the world. Like Paul and Timothy, friends where we spur each other on to run this hard Christian race. And friends, we don't need church programs for this. Things like the men's ministry, abide, these are good things. But they're supplemental things. We can do this with each other. How are we, as members of Great Vic, making effort to cultivate deep, organic friendships with each other? Maybe you're even thinking of somebody that you're like, yeah, I've been meaning to to have coffee with this person. Reach out to that person this week. Get coffee with them. Ask them how how you can start thinking through how to live the Christian life together, encouraging each other. Paul and Timothy knew that the Christian life was not done alone. It was done in the context of spiritual friendship. Okay, moving on to verse 10. So verse 10, a little bit of verse 11 as well, we see more about Paul's circumstances and and probably more of why he was asking uh, for Timothy. So he says that Demas had left him because of his love for the present world. So this guy Demas, he's actually mentioned by Paul several times. I think it's in Colossians. I don't have it written down. I think it's at the end of Colossians. He's in the greeting uh, even. He's... He's not just this random person. He's actually been with Paul a long time. Uh, he's, he, up until now, he, he's kind of been one of those people that's been with Paul through thick and thin. But apparently, this, Paul's most recent arrest, it was, it was just too much for him. So he packed up his bags, and he goes to Thessalonica. Now we should notice here, Demas isn't, presented as necessarily falling away from the faith, like in the same way that the other false teachers that we see throughout First uh, and Second Timothy are. He's simply a, a Christian who, in this moment, he cared more about himself and his own comfort than that of Paul. Listen to what John Calvin says about Demas. I think it's helpful. He says, We're not to suppose that Demas completely denied Christ, and gave himself over to ungodliness or the allurements of the world, but only that he cared more for his own convenience and safety than for the life of Paul. We see these two other uh, people who have left Paul, right? Verse 10 says, Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. These were probably people who left for positive reasons. 
So we see Demas, who left for wrong reasons. Uh, These figures probably left to go on mission. Um, They're mentioned very briefly, but we, we know for a lot of reasons that they probably left to go on mission. But it's interesting still that Paul mentions them, right? It's just kind of adding to Paul's loneliness. People are leaving him. So here with Demas and then Crescens and Titus, we have this list of people who have left Paul for both good and bad reasons, and he says Luke alone is with him. So Luke is almost presented as like the opposite of Demas, right? So Demas leaves for bad reasons. Luke has showed himself to be dependable. Luke was that tough friend for tough times. Again, just to apply this to our own lives, like these are the type of verses that when I started uh, reading this passage, I was just glossing over. I remember talking to Simon and being like, what, you know, what am I going to get out of this? And then later talking to him, I'm saying, I'm so encouraged by this. Don't gloss over just these names listed. What kind of friend are you? Are you a, a Demas friend? Do you leave when just things get hard? Are you a Luke kind of friend who is a tough friend for tough times? Even when things get hard, with that friend, you stick it out. And I think it's helpful to see here, too, that he mentions Crescens and Titus. Sometimes you just move. <laughs> like, sometimes life just happens, and you have to leave a particular place, and you lose touch with your friends. Okay, Ver- the end, end of 11 here. So, the next few verses, we see Paul, Paul's next kind of directive to Timothy is this guy, has to do with this guy, Mark. So it's not just to come to, for, for Timothy to come to Rome, but it's him, for him to bring another kind of ministry partner, Mark. And if we think about who Mark is for a second, this is actually really remarkable, really amazing. This is the same Mark who Paul had a big fight with in the book of Acts. Paul and Barnabas, right, had this famous splitting of ways, and who does Mark choose to be with? He chose to go with Barnabas, and Paul actually says, basically, that Mark is unusable for ministry. And we don't know the details of their reconciliation, but we we just see him pop up later uh, when Paul's first Roman imprisonment happens. Mark is actually there. He's with him. And now at the end of his life, in Paul's time of greatest need, Paul asks for a friend that he had a falling out with. Mark went from uselessness to being requested at Paul's deathbed. Listen to this one commentator, what he says. I I just couldn't, couldn't put it better than this thinking about Mark. He says, what a profound encouragement we find in the life of John Mark. Past failure, even rejection, does not prevent usability. You can come back from disgrace. Not only that, you can become immensely useful to Christ. Even a shirker can become a major worker in the gospel enterprise the kind of man or woman that the apostle would call for. In the last few months, Luke, Mark, and Timothy are all going to be gathered together for Paul's departure. That is a tough team 
for tough times. Mark's story teaches us that even if we have been unfaithful friends in the past, that doesn't have to define our relationships moving forward in the future, does it? There's forgiveness, there's repentance, there's reconciliation. Don't let your past mistakes in relationships hinder you from seeking to heal those relationships. Be like John Mark. If we think about it from Paul's perspective, if you were the one who was wronged in a friendship or wronged in a relationship, this story with Mark teaches us that we should be more than willing and able to welcome our friend back with loving arms, to be the father in the prodigal son scenario. If someone has sinned against us in a relationship, it's our job to welcome them back in love. It's so beautiful. Paul and Mark's relationship teaches us that even if friendships break down, even if you're not on speaking terms, the Lord can redeem those relationships, even, as I said before, even to the point where that's the person you want to be with you when you die. I think we so often look at broken friendships or broken relationships that we have as unhealable, and yet it's here through the power of spiritual friendship, the gospel, that this could become your closest friend in the world. All right, verse 13. So we see this little side about... uh, about Timothy bringing things to Paul. But even this is an outworking of friendship in many ways, right? So he mentions a cloak. So Paul had probably been forced to get rid of his cloak when he got arrested. And uh, we hear later that the winter was coming. uh, So he probably just wanted his coat or his cloak. Uh, He also mentions the books and above all the parchments. So he's simply probably referring here to the Old Testament scriptures, probably some personal notes as well, maybe some of his letters and correspondence. What we should see here, though, is that Paul's not flippant or, or just, you know, dismisses even these important practical matters, right? He's asking Timothy to come to him, and at the same time, he's saying, hey, and if you're going to come, can you, can you bring these things, please? In other words, true spiritual friends... They help each other in physical ways too, don't they? Think about, uh, think about in a marriage. Think about, you know, if it was me and my wife, and my wife said, hey, can you help me with the dishes? And I was just like, no. Like, we just love each other. And she's like, yeah, so you would help me with the dishes, right? And I would be like, no, like, you know, we're, we just love each other, right? No, like, our love for each other fuels us to then even want to do physical things for each other, right? Do the dishes, take care of the kids, whatever it is. As friends, think about ways that your, your love for other brothers and sisters can fuel you to do physical things for them too. Maybe it's not bringing a cloak or bringing uh, the, the parchments, but it could be getting someone a gift. It could be bringing dinner to a, a family that's just had a baby, It could be serving others by watching their kids. It could be buying Christian books for other people and just giving them away just for the sake of it. Biblical friends do practical and physical things to love each other. All right, verses 14 and 15. 
tells us this interesting bit about Alexander the coppersmith opposing Paul's message. See, he says in verse 14, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. We're not quite sure who this Alexander is. There's another Alexander mentioned in First Timothy, uh, but there's, there's really no, no knowledge to who this, this Alexander is. In fact, there's actually hints that it very well could be the person who turned Paul in in the first place. Um, you know, especially as Paul is just thinking about being in prison and, and thinking about people deserting him, thinking about his situation. We're almost led to believe that Alexander is at least one of the reasons that Paul's in the predicament that he's in. So, so Paul tells Timothy to, to watch out for him. He says, be careful. Again, applying this to our own lives. What do friends do for each other? They help each other. They, they make sure that each other is safe. I mean, think about uh, missionaries on the mission field. One of the most loving things that they can do for one another is to be cautious, warn each other, tell each other what's going on and what, what they need to do, right, to keep their families safe. That's exactly what Paul is doing here and warning about Alexander. Before we go on to verses 17 and 18, that's where we're going to look at that gospel hope. Let's skip down to verses 19 and 22 and just look at Paul's final words um, in this letter. So he, he tells Timothy, greet, Priscilla, or, greet Prisca and Aquila in the household of Onesiphorus. Prisca and Aquila, right, they're mentioned quite a bit uh, in, in the New Testament. They served with Paul in Corinth, in Ephesus, in Rome, and now they're, they're back with Timothy uh, in Ephesus. He mentions the whole household of Anisiphorus. You know, and again, like these, these, these are the times where we gloss over the text, like in our, in our yearly Bible reading, and we're just like, okay, like these are these names, I'm going to go past them. But why? Why does he mention these? Let's think about it. These are the last words that the Apostle Paul is ever saying in a letter. And he chooses to mention other people and say hello to them. I mean, surely these people would have been comforted and assured of their, of Paul's love for them, right? Could you imagine hearing that? Knowing what Paul is going through and, and Timothy telling you, hey, Paul, Paul loves you and he says hi. It's interesting, isn't it, that at, at the end of Paul's life, he's going through this difficult imprisonment, he's probably going to die, and he spends some of the last words of his life encouraging his friends. I think we have a lot to learn from this little verse, you know? How do we show thankfulness for others, right? How, how are we like Paul here? How, how do we make intentional effort, even if we're going through difficult circumstances, to encourage others? If, you know, just even a point of practical application. If you yourself, you can look back and if you have a spiritual mentor or a friend in the faith, someone who's been helpful to you spiritually, be like Paul here. Reach out to them. Maybe they haven't heard from you in a while. Be like Paul. Be intentionally encouraging. Just say, hi, thank you. 
it's been a while. Thank you for all that you've done for my spiritual life. That's, that's what Paul's doing here. Just to go quickly here, so in verse 20, we see Paul explaining just, just some more practicalities about uh, Erastus and, and Tromphius. We see Paul again asking Timothy to come as soon as he can in verse 21. So he's reiterating, like, come soon. It's, it's getting to be winter. Um, we also see Paul talking about these, these various men, Eubulus, Pudens, Linus. We actually don't know that much about these men, but again... It's important that he's talking about other people, isn't it? Then we see this final greeting from Paul. It says, The Lord be with you, or the Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. I stumbled across an interesting piece of information. The word grace is actually used in every single one of Paul's benedictions, in every one of his letters. He is a man of God's grace. So here, as Paul's giving his final words, the end of his Christian life, it ends just like it began, doesn't it? With God's grace. And that brings us uh, nicely into our point number two, gospel hope. So point number two, and quite a bit shorter, gospel hope. So look back with me at verses 17 and 18, right? So Paul's thinking about these people that have deserted him, He's thinking about Alexander the coppersmith who's turned on him. And how does he think about those things? He says in verse 17, But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might fully be proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. As as we were singing, yet not I, but through Christ in me, I just thought that's what Paul's saying here. This is Paul's, when the race is complete, still my lips shall repeat, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Paul, right, this whole rest of the time, what's sandwiching this gospel truth is him talking about relationships, friendships, people. But isn't it interesting that he also knows that people will leave, people will disappoint us. Look at verse 16. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. And yet, what does he say in verse 17? The Lord stood by me and strengthened me. Even though the people around him deserted him, the Lord stood by him. Even though the world leaves him weak, the Lord strengthens him. It's interesting, isn't it? Right? Paul says he, he'll be rescued from every evil deed and be brought safely into his heavenly kingdom. But that's interesting because Paul's not in a safe situation, is he? He's in the midst of evil deeds being done to him. And he's probably going to be executed for it. So how can Paul say this? How can he say that the Lord will rescue him? Well, Paul's confidence isn't in being physically rescued from death. 
It's that no evil attack on him could undermine his faith. No evil attack on him could undermine God's being with him and God's bringing him home to him, his heavenly kingdom. In other words, Paul's ultimate hope, his ultimate confidence, his ultimate comfort, it's in God. Even though he spends the majority of this passage talking about friends and relationships and longing to see Timothy and Mark and so on, he doesn't put his ultimate hope in these things, does he? He puts his ultimate hope in God, that God has forgiven his sins, that he will bring him to his heavenly home. I think that's a great reminder for us too, isn't it? What are, what are you, what are we placing our hope in? Is it in people? Do we, do we place our hope in pleasing others around us, whether it's our family or our friends or people around us at church? We want to be impressive. We want to look good. We put our comfort in what others think about us. Maybe in our jobs. Maybe it's in safety and, and comfort. Maybe we find our hope. Maybe we find our comfort in just, oh, that relaxed feeling at the end of work when I can just sit down and nobody can bother me. Brothers and sisters, none of these things are going to satisfy. And, and these things aren't inherently bad, right? Like your family, your friends, be, you know, having a good reputation at your job, relaxing at the end of work. These are not bad things. But they are not going to save you. And they're not, as Paul would say, going to strengthen you. Like Paul, we should be able to say, even if everyone around me deserts me, even if nothing goes right in my life, the Lord stands by me. He strengthens me, and He will guide me home. Paul was such a good gospel friend because he had such a high view of the gospel. So I pray that we too, that we would, we would consider this hope in Christ that would get us through difficult circumstances. And this is what we should be reminding each other as we seek to even nourish better gospel friendships with each other, reminding us of this, of the truth of the gospel, that the Lord is bringing us home to his heavenly kingdom, reminding each other that Christ has come. He's forgiven our sins. Let's leave here today with not only a greater understanding of how to interact with each other, but a greater hope in the gospel and how that is really what shapes our lives together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word and, and even passages like the ending of 2 Timothy, passages that a lot of times we, we might not give much credence to, lots of names and lots of things like scrolls and, and cloaks. But Lord, I pray that we would see all your word is good for doctrine and reproof and training and correction, instruction in righteousness. And Lord, I pray that as a church that we would be just friends with one another, that we would look to Paul and Timothy and Luke and Mark, and we would want that to be true of ourselves, that we could think about others and think, 
uh, how do we encourage each other in the gospel? That we could look at each other honestly and say, oh, if anything goes wrong in my life, if everybody leaves me, the Lord strengthens me. The Lord stands by me. I pray that that would be true of us. And I pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much, Jared, for ministering God's word to us. We're going to respond by singing of the Lord who gives us strength in our weakness. Let's stand together and sing. to shine on you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.